Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. At this point, most shows are winding down. Roy is just getting started. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. The estimate is that more than 100 million people in the United States are living with chronic pain. More than 100 million. In Canada, probably approaching 2.5 million living with chronic pain. Agony for most. 24-7. And we've spoken a great deal about the issue of chronic pain, and we will continue to do so as politicians and, in many cases, Medical authorities are not doing what they should for the pain patients. The pain patients are being lumped in with, I hate to use the term, but generic addicts. And the pain patients are not the ones who have problems with the opioids. The pain patients are the ones who use the opioids to control their pain and regain some quality of life. And now so many pain patients, I could read you email after email after heartbreaking email from both Canada and the United States, from individual patients who know that I'm on this issue and send me their stories. It's the pain patients who are abandoned. And the doctors are afraid to prescribe the opioids. They've told us that. Certainly told me that, and they've told told patients that. We're going to be speaking with the pain management physician from Hamilton, Ontario, who I've known for a long time, Dr. Jeffrey Ennis, He has uh, just released a new book called Hypnotherapy for Pain Control, a Safe and Non-Addictive Way to Relieve Chronic Pain. We're going to talk to Dr. Ennis. He's also a pain patient himself. But we're going to begin with this international headlines all week long as U.S. President Donald Trump traveled to Asia visiting Japan, China, South Korea before participating in the APEC summit in Vietnam attended by Canadian PM Justin Trudeau. Along the way, the North Koreans called Trump old, and Trump fired back at the DPRK. Dictator is short and fat. So what was accomplished, and how do America's military members feel about this commander-in-chief, Colonel Peter Mansour, a former executive officer to General David Petraeus during the surge in Iraq. He's the author of Surge, My Journey with General David Petraeus and the Remaking of the Iraq War. Colonel Mansour was also the commander of a tank brigade. Uh, before being assigned to General Petraeus. Colonel Mansour, good to have you with us. And may I begin with this? What's your assessment of Donald Trump as commander-in-chief, generally? Um, you know, he he, uh, he likes the military. He admires um, uh, senior leaders in uniform, despite what he said in the election. He's put three of them at key positions in, in his uh, administration, Secretary of Defense, James Mattis, uh, H.R. McMaster, the, the National Security Advisor, and, and, uh, and General Kelly as his chief of staff. So, you know, I, I think he, he gives a lot of leeway uh, to military advice. But on the other hand, you know, he is uh, the tweeter-in-chief. I, 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 I watched the Country Music Awards the other night, and I think uh, Carrie Underwood and Brad Paisley hit the nail on the head 
when they said uh, maybe next time he'll think before he tweets. Yeah, it it is. It does go on and on and on. It does become a it becomes a distraction and it becomes annoying after a while. Yeah, and it doesn't do any good. I mean, it's one of those things where you le- you learned on the playground: sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And most uh, most administrations have just allowed North Korea to to bluster away and then and not say anything back. But uh, Donald Trump is not that kind of person. He has to hit back when, when he has hit personally, and that he's shown that time and again during the campaign and, and as president. So I can expe- we can expect this to continue. How would that work for you as a military commander or General Petraeus as a military commander in theater if you were to react to every stimulant that came your way that was disturbing or annoying? You know, I really don't think it'll affect the uh, the war fighters. Um, you know, they're they're not going to. Um, you know, they will abide by their oath of office, and they're they're not going to uh, say anything bad about the president. And so he will, uh, in turn, support them. It, it, it has more to do with his relations with uh, foreign uh, governments, and in that sense, uh, you know, he's easily provoked. Mm-hmm. And I I'm afraid that uh, some nations can use that to their advantage going forward from here. How has he impressed you or failed to impress you on his Asia tours? South Korea, Japan, China, how, how's, what has he done as far as getting your attention is concerned? Uh, well, in terms of uh, uh, knitting uh, our alliances together and, and uh, saying the right things in Japan and South Korea, I think he gets a, about a B. Um, in terms of his relations with China, you know, he seems to get along with President Xi. He likes strong uh, leaders, and whether they're democratically elected or not, and, and that seems to be going well. But on the other hand, he's doubling down on his, uh, his dislike of free trade agreements, and unfortunately the United States is being left out as Canada and, and others lead the way on putting together the, the Pacific Trade Agreement uh, that will exclude the United States and, and may include China. So in that sense, I think he, he's not doing the United States um, a whole lot of good economically, but it, it goes to what he believes in, that free trade uh, eliminates American jobs and is bad for our economy, which I don't think is true. We watch uh, with great interest to see what your president is doing, because inevitably and invariably, given where we're located, uh, whatever you do, whatever he does as the president of the United States is going to affect us, regardless of who's in power in our country. But I want to go back to something that I asked you probably six months or so ago when there was a real crisis situation that had developed between North Korea and the United States, or North Korea and Western nations, more more predominantly the United States. And I asked you, it was on a Saturday, and I asked you whether you would be surprised if war broke out in the next 48 hours. And you said, no, you wouldn't be, given the circumstances that existed at that time. Given the circumstances that exist today, with Mr. Trump having just been, or still in Asia, with Mr. Trump having uh, called Kim Jong-un short and fat, and the North Koreans calling Mr. Trump old, and the childish backs and forths going along, uh, are you concerned that this could develop into something that would actually be a shooting war between... The two countries? I don't think the rhetoric will cause it. Mm-hmm. I think the, what would cause it is uh, North Korean possession of intercontinental ballistic missile and, um, and perhaps 
uh, one of these uh, missiles that they fire over Japan, uh, they do an atmosphere. You know, imagine if they did an atmospheric nuclear test uh, out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Something like that would be very concerning. I think the Trump administration would would feel they have no choice but to, to try to eliminate the North Korean uh, missile and nuclear programs if, if something like that were to happen. And so that that's what concerns me. This back and forth on the tweeting and the rhetoric. I, I think we that's become the new normal, unfortunately, in our foreign relations, and I, I think that'll be overlooked. So what's happened over the last week or so, uh, the back and forth and the uh, the aggressive tweeting, nothing really to be terribly concerned there, but so go back to the previous scenario, it's what the North does that could create a response that would let the whole thing unravel out of control. Well, exactly. The North, North Korea believes it needs uh, intercontinental ballistic missile uh, and a nuclear capability to hit the United States and that will make it safe from attack. And uh, unfortunately, that may be the one thing that actually triggers an attack. Um, and so that's what I would keep my eye on uh, if we're worried about uh, a nuclear war breaking out on the Korean Peninsula. Colonel Mansour, you're also a military historian. History repeats itself. Have there been scenarios between other widely uh, disparate leaders that have led to um, war and led to... Uh, you know, massive destruction that you could look at and say this could be a template for what's going on now? Well, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme, as Mark Twain once said. You know, there have been any number of foreign leaders that have hated each other through the years. I think, you know, the the model here is, uh, although it was between great powers, is Hitler and Stalin, who absolutely loathed each other, eventually led to a a massive conflict uh, on the Eurasian continent. Um, North Korea doesn't have nearly the power of the United States, and that's what's different here. And so it, it really is treading a, a fine line between being aggressive and, and thinking it has a deterrent and uh, actually triggering a conflict it cannot win. Where does Canada fit into all of this? Where does our prime minister fit into this equation? You know, I think, uh, ironically, um, with President Trump, sort of pulling the United States back a little bit from leading uh, the alliances, uh, the Western world, the the liberal international order, that um, Canada could actually be one of those nations that picks up the slack. There will be a few others that could also uh, play in that realm. But Canada has a lot of soft power, and um, if it puts a little bit more of its resources into hard power as well, it could actually be one of the leaders that holds the liberal international order together uh, while the United States goes through this political crisis internally. Please hold on, uh, Dr. Colonel Mansour. Please stay with us. We'll come back with Colonel Peter Mansour and uh, talk more about what's going on currently in the world and Mr. Trump traveling through Asia and uh, with the other leaders in the world uh, in Vietnam. uh, Putin said that no way Russia was involved in the American election of last year, these issues are just all, they seem to be circling one another. And uh, occasionally uh, one pops to the surface and then it's submerged and another one pops to the surface. But they're in rotation. They're in some kind of rotation. As one comes back and then the next one comes back and the third one comes back and it's just a very wobbly time that we're living in. We'll be back with uh, Colonel Peter Mansour whose book is Surge. Stay with us. 
Big stories and even bigger guests. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. I'm speaking with Colonel Peter Mansour, former executive officer to General David Petraeus in uh, Iraq. He's the author of Surge, My Journey with General David Petraeus and the Remaking of the Iraq War. One of my listeners sent an interesting uh, tweet, Colonel Mansour. I just want to read it. Uh, Three aircraft carrier groups are in the North Pacific right now. There's a reason for that, eh? What uh, is that? Just a is that just for show, or are they there for a, a really specific reason? Well, they're there to send a message uh, to North Korea that we have the power to do them great damage um, if uh, they don't um, come to terms on their nuclear and missile programs. They're taking advantage of, of a normal rotation where one carrier would come in and another carrier would would go back to the United States, and, and, um, and what they've done is they've kept them all on station um, for a period of time so that um, uh, they can operate together and, and, and train. And, but it's, a, it's definitely a message to Kim Jong-un, uh, you know, either, either come to terms or this is the kind of power that can be arrayed against you. Or pay the price. Yeah, I, uh, President Trump has uh, made that... Um, uh, quite clear on, on any number of occasions, and uh, you've got to believe it. Um, you know, there's a lot of people during his campaign and during his presidency say, saying, oh, he doesn't mean what he says. He doesn't really, you know, he'll change his ways. In fact, everything he said, he has followed through on, and uh, I'm not sure why this would be any different. What power does the commander-in-chief actually have? Is he the, can he order essentially what he wants as far as military action is concerned, or is it limited? Well, the Constitution give, gives the United States Congress the power to declare war, but it's only declared war about a half a dozen times in the nation's history. On the other hand, the presidents, various presidents have used military power on hundreds of occasions. So he has relatively unlimited power to, um, to strike as he sees fit. And Congress has passed, uh, after the Vietnam War, they passed a War Powers Resolution, which says he has up to 60 days, basically, to use military force. And, and um, within 48 hours, he's got to tell Congress why he's doing it. But he has 60 days before he has to pull the troops out, unless Congress gives him an authorization. So the power of the presidency in the United States is, is, is pretty robust. Now, you mentioned before the break... If I remember the exact word you used, were an internal crisis as it as it goes forward in the United States. When you said that, what were you referring to? Now, the United States has uh, has divided itself into tribes, and um, where there used to be a center that where the parties could come together and cut deals in Congress and so forth, you don't see a lot of that anymore. Um, and it, it's become our politics have become you know my way or the highway. And uh, we've demonized the other side. And as a result, the United States is becoming ungovernable. And 
I'm hoping that this period is going to pass. I mean, we've we've had these periods in the United States before. Unfortunately, one of them led to a civil war. But um, you know, this this is uh, doing great damage. I think to the United States internally and to our position in the world. And uh, I just hope that cooler heads prevail and we can find the center again. But it doesn't seem to be um, within reach right now. It's finding its way into the streets of your of your country as well. Well, it is, um, you know, on both sides. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think, you know, the reaction to Charlottesville and to St. Louis and the other places shows how divided we are as a country. You know, so where some people see uh, justice being done, other people see a law, law and order issue, and um, never, you know, never the twain shall meet. They, they just cannot, too many people just cannot put themselves in the shoes of the other side and see where they're coming from. Colonel Mansour, is there a role for the military in a situation like that, for the American military? If the, if the country's stability internally starts to be significantly rocked, does the military have a role to play to get things back in control? I'm not talking about a junta. I'm not talking about a, sort of the old South American uh, model that we've all seen and heard reported about. But is there a role that the uh, military might have? The oath of office for our military personnel uh, say that they'll protect the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And that domestic part, um, of course, refers to situations such as the Civil War, where you have a rebellion against the United States. Actually, the most recent city declared in rebellion against the United States was Los Angeles in 1992 with the the massive riots that uh, rocked the city then, and federal troops were sent in to calm down, calm order. Or create order again. So yes, there is a role. Um, it's not used uh, very often in American history, and I hope it doesn't come to that. But uh, our troops are, uh, you know, one of their obligations is to is to restore order in the United States if there is a rebellion against the government. It's disturbing that we even have to talk about this sort of thing, isn't it? Oh, it's horrible. I just. Uh, you know, I shake my head at uh, at the news every day, and I'm just hoping, like I said, that we can find the center again. Yeah. I, I was uh, considered a privilege to speak with you about uh, about issues like this because I uh, I just always get the sense that you're going to give us the uh, the straight story and the truth, and we can and we can work much better um, with the truth than we can with sound bites. Colonel Mansour, thank you for the time. I appreciate that, Roy. Always a pleasure. All the best to you. Colonel uh, Peter Mansour former tank brigade commander and executive officer to David Petraeus, General Petraeus in Iraq. Sobering stuff, isn't it? When we come back, chronic pain and hypnotherapy. Don't go away.